Well, I don't know about you, but I was, I was ready to hear more, Heather. Um, I can't. Man, and TED Talks are 18 minutes long, too, so you've got plenty more time. Uh, thank you for sharing that. By the way, can we just, for a second, give thanks to God for what happened on the stage this morning and the music? Uh, my wife and I often talk about one of the greatest joys, I think, that we get is watching people do what they're best at. There is like there is something worshipful and God orchestrated in that. And watching that group of individuals do what they did this morning and lead us to that place of worship was incredible. And oh, by the way, half of them, or just about half of them, were under the age of 18. So what we talked about last week, we mean it. We want to invest in the next generation. I know two of them are my kids, but they're still young. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. That was incredible, incredible. I don't know who that guy is on the keyboard, but we got to keep him around a little longer. Um, yeah. All right. Enough about that. Jake, don't make his head too big. He gets a big head. That's the end of it. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Joel. Uh, in 2022, I read this recently, in 2022, organizations worldwide paid a whopping $40 billion to manage their risk in the marketplace. This includes their strategic risk, their operational risk, their financial risk, their reputational risk, their environmental risk, and that's just a, a small list of even a longer list of the risks that they spent billions of dollars to manage. Businesses and organizations will pay millions upon millions of dollars every year simply to ensure they are covered and that their risk in the marketplace and in the world is as minimal as possible. Billions are spent on this. They hire professionals and executives and attorneys to continuously evaluate the risk and then throw money at it to ensure that their business is risk is as minimal as possible. I got to thinking about this because it's true for us on a personal level as well, right? In 2021, the insurance industry, the personal insurance industry, had a total revenue of $30 billion. We in America spend $30 billion a year to make sure that our risks are at a minimum. And that includes everything from health insurance to car insurance to health insurance, rental insurance, life insurance. Americans pay billions to manage the risk in their world. And we do this even when money is not involved either, right? When you learned how to drive, one of the things that they taught you was before you changed lanes, what should you do? Turn on your blinker, what else? Check your blind spot, right? Why? Because you want to manage the risk of moving lanes and not running into somebody next to you. We were taught when we cross the street, what are we supposed to do? We were taught this at three years old. What are we supposed to do? Look both ways. Why? Because we want to manage the risk of getting hit by a bus, right? We don't, we don't want to go out that way at such a young age. We got a lot of life to live. We, we constantly do this. We, we make choices about how we eat and how we exercise to lower the risk of disease or death. The list goes on and on on how we do this. And oh, by the way, we went through this little thing called covid and throughout that time, we made decisions on how we would manage the risk of getting sick or potentially even die. In a way, much of life is spent managing the risk we will take and not take. You do this 
inherently all the time, not even thinking about it. You decide what risks will I take and what risks will I not take. And much of it is based on who we are and what our values are. We will take risks based on who we are, what our values are, that other people wouldn't. For example, example, I, I watched this documentary a while back called Free Solo. Anybody seen this documentary before? A few of you? Yeah. All right. So it's amazing. This guy named Alex Honnold, he decides to climb the 3,000-foot face of El Capitan in Yellowstone Park. Now, if you've ever been there, I've not, but I've seen pictures. It is a sheer face, straight up from top to bottom, 3,000 feet, with very little handholds or foot placements if you were trying to climb it. He decided, I want to get to the place where I can free climb that face. Free climbing means you are attached or tethered to nothing. No ropes, no hinges, nothing. Just you, your shoes, and your hands, 3,000 feet up a straight, sheer-faced wall. Now, he did it. And if you watch it, it's frightening to watch him do it. There are a couple of moves that he makes on that wall that if he misses by even a millimeter of an inch, he dies. But he did it. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a risk I am unwilling to take. <laughs> okay? I have assessed the risk. And I've decided, absolutely not. He, on the other hand, based on who he is, what he values, and his skill set, assessed that risk and said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. We do this all the time. Constantly, we are evaluating what risk we will take and what risk we will not take. Risk is a reality that we face every single day. We're constantly asking us ourselves, what will I do? What won't I do? Where will I go? Where won't I go? What will I spend my money on? And what won't I spend my money on? And as we do this, usually without even realizing it, we make decisions always based on the level of risk we're, we're willing to take. We determine every day there are some risks that are worth taking and there are some risks that aren't worth taking. Here's the deal though. I've decided, well, it's not just me, but I think God's decided, but I've decided as well that there is one risk that no matter where you are on the spectrum of risk taking, there is one risk that is worth taking every single time. It's a risk that I'm gonna tell you can lead to unpleasant circumstances, it can lead to criticism, and in some cases, it can even lead to a person's death. But it is a risk, I believe, that is worth taking every single time. Now, before I get to what that risk is, uh, well, let's just go back to where we've been in the book of Acts. As Heather said, we have been walking through the book of Acts for a while now. We are entering into chapter 14. It only took us a year and a half to get here, and we are now halfway through the book of Acts. So, I knew it would take a while. I did not know it would take this long, but hey, 
here we are. There's no stopping now. It's, you know, it's, there's no, I can't be like, that's it, we're done. Have, you read the rest, right? No, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep doing it. So if you haven't done so yet, you can open up the YouVersion Bible app. You can follow along with the passage I'm going to read today. And if you're in your Bible this morning, as I mentioned, we will be starting in chapter 14. Now, where we last left off last week, Paul and Barnabas are these travel companions, and they're going around the modern-day Turkey and uh, islands around there like Crete, and they're deciding to share this gospel that they've heard about, about this person, Jesus. And in Acts 13, verse 47, Paul is in this city of Pisidia, or Antioch of Pisidia, and he says these words to those who are listening. He says, For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I've made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. We talked about this last week and that that really is, I think, sums up the commission of the church, that we as believers in Jesus, we're to be the light to the world. We're to bring the gospel to the farthest corners of the earth. And, and I believe that we as a church specifically are called to do that with the next generation, to be a light to them, to bring the gospel to the farthest corners of their world. But as we continue on, we'll see that these two men, as they travel from city to city and they spread the news of the Savior of the world, they begin to pair statements like uh, Acts 13.47 with other statements that get chased them out of every town they go to. This is what kind of happens when you start to talk about Jesus. Some people are going to love it. Some people are going to be just sort of like, they don't really care, and there are other people that are going to hate it. And Paul and Barnabas are well aware of this, and they just keep getting shooed away from town to town to town. But as the end of chapter 13 tells us, what they do is they simply shake the dust from their feet, which is a sign of, you know what, we're leaving behind what has just occurred, and they head west to a town called Iconium, which is where we're going to pick up the story again in Acts chapter 14. It says this in verse 1. The same thing happened in Iconium. The same thing happened. They're getting used to this. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and they preached with power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. Okay, stop there a second, because when Paul and Barnabas arrive in Iconium, it says that they do the same thing they did when they were in Antioch of Pisidia, right? Albert Einstein said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You might claim Paul and Barnabas are a little insane here, or it's possible that Paul and Barnabas know something they're trying to exhibit now for us 2,000 years ago. So they do the same thing. They go to the local synagogue. They're there to worship with those who are in attendance. They're invited to say something, and they say the same thing again. And as it was in Antioch of Pisidia, a number of Jews and Greeks become believers. But then there's this other group that's all disturbed by what they are saying, and they turn people against them. It says they poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas. If you zoom out, on what is happening here, it seems like Paul and Barnabas should maybe consider making some changes in their strategy and tactics and what they're doing. 
They've been chased out of the city of Antioch. They're now getting you know, flack from those in Iconium. It seemed like a good opportunity. This seems like a good opportunity for them to assess the risk of what they're doing and then adjust as necessary. To me, that just makes common sense. This is risky. We're finding that out. We're getting chased out of towns. Maybe we should assess our risk and decide what we will do and what we won't do. But Luke seems to make it clear that they make no adjustments. They don't make any adjustments. They continue to do what they've done previously. Even after the people's minds have been poisoned against them, they go on and on. Go to verse 3. It says this, But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Anybody been divided about their opinion about you before? Do you want to? Oh, never. (laughs) I would love to hear your tactic in that. As a pastor, I have found that everybody's opinion about me is the same. Everybody loves me. That's not true. (laughs) That's not true. I'm just kidding. People have divided opinions about me. Doesn't seem to bother them, though. It goes on in verse 4. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lysania, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area, and they preached the good news. Now look, Paul and Barnabas, they know their risks, right? And they're going to take all the risks they need to, but they know they have work to do. So if somebody comes at you with rocks, you go, all right, we're just going to move on. All right, that's just kind of their approach. But again, Paul and Barnabas, they seem fully aware of the risks and what they're doing. They're clear, aware, clearly aware of what they are saying and doing and the fact that it is going to cause conflict. So much so that when they learn that a mob of people are on their way to stone them, they decide to move on to the area of Lysonia, which by the way, they go back to doing what they've always been done when they go there, preaching the good news about Jesus. Nothing seems to really uh, cause them to decide we're going to do something different. We're just simply going to move on from this place and continue to do this thing that we have been called to do. When I read this story, I have so many questions for Paul and part of this. Mostly, why do you keep doing this? Right? Like, I've been a pastor for more than 20 years. And when things don't seem to be working, I start to, you know, ask questions of like, are we doing the right thing? Should we change our strategy? Should we change our tactics? You know, if people were chasing me out from town to town, I'll probably be like, how can I do that better next time, right? So that people don't chase me with stones at the next city. I'd probably be thinking that. I mean, don't they see the writing on the wall? Can't they see they're going to constantly be pushed back against and threatened and chased out of town? What is behind their insistence on continuing to do what they do no matter where they go. Well, I believe that Paul and Barnabas have settled on a truth that not only enabled them to go from town to town to town doing the same thing, but also enabled them to change the lives of thousands of people. They had settled in their minds and hearts 
that participating in God's mission is always a risk worth taking. Participating in God's mission is always a risk worth taking. Yeah, they were going to assess some things like, hey, they've got stones in their hands. Maybe we just move on to, you know, we go to Scottsdale and see how they're doing over there, right? But no matter what, they will participate in God's mission because they have settled on the truth that it is a risk worth taking every single time. There are most certainly risks that aren't worth taking. I'll be honest with that. I mean, even to Paul and Barnabas. But participating in God's mission to change the world is not one of them. It is a risk we're taking every single time. And if you look at the history of the church, you will see person after person after person decide in their minds, this is a risk worth taking every single time, even to the point of their own death. All 12 of the disciples minus one would die because they believe that participating in God's mission to bring hope and love and justice and compassion to the world was a risk worth taking. Now, if this isn't conjuring up some questions in your mind, it should be by now. It should be by now. Because at this point in Paul's life, he's resolved that though the risk may be great, this is a risk worth taking no matter what. And to be clear, if you have declared Jesus as your leader and forgiver of your life, then you have also declared to be a full participant in the mission of God in the world. You have committed to that. You have surrendered to that. And it is a mission that Paul describes in Acts 13 as being a light to the world and bringing salvation to the farthest corners of the world. When you decided, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, he then set in you this truth that you are now a participant in God's mission. And no matter what may come, it will be a risk worth taking every single time. I'm so glad that Heather shared her story about AMP this morning because I think it's a simple example of somebody who decided, I'm going to risk something. You know, Heather and the leaders at AMP, they risk something every Wednesday night. They risk their time. They risk their reputation. They risk uh, their emotional <laughs> status as they hang out with teenagers. No offense, teenagers. You can get a little emotional. But they risk something every Wednesday night. And it makes me ask the question of myself, when it comes to God's mission on this earth, what am I willing to risk? What am I willing to risk? For Paul and Barnabas, I think the answer would have been clear. And it would be clear later in their life. I'll risk everything. They decided I will risk everything everything. In fact, they did risk everything, even their own lives. Participating in God's mission, I'm telling you, it's risky, but it's a risk worth taking. So let me ask you, what are you willing to risk? Got quiet in here. Are you willing to risk your comfort? Are you willing to risk your reputation? Are you willing to risk your money? Are you willing to risk your need for certainty in the future? Are you willing to risk your preferences? What are you willing to risk to become a full participant 
in the movement of God to see changed lives changing lives in our community. What are you willing to risk? What are you willing to risk? Because participating in God's mission will mean risking something. In fact, I will say this to you. If you're not risking something right now, it is likely that you are not participating in God's mission. You can't do both. You can't stay safe and participate in God's mission. You can't hold on to every dollar you make and participate in God's mission. You cannot spend all of your time by yourself at home watching Netflix and participate in God's mission. Look, I know I got in your kitchen here this morning, right? And we're banging pans, but y'all need to hear this. I need to hear it. We have to ask ourselves, what am I willing to risk for God's mission? Because there is no, there is nothing worth risking greater than God's mission and being a participant in it. I think God wants to rattle our cage this morning a little bit. What are you willing to risk in order to participate with God in his mission? And do you believe Do you believe that participating with God in his mission to bring the gospel to the farthest corners of the world, whatever that may mean for you, is always a risk worth taking? Do you believe that? Do you take God at his word? Last week I spoke on the vision that God has placed, not only on my heart, but I know on the hearts of so many who are part of this church, to be a place where we are a light to the next generation but I realize this will take some risk, a lot of risk on our part. It will mean we will need to risk our money and our time and our comfort in order for the kids and teenagers and young adults and their families in our world to know Jesus. It's going to take some risk, but I believe it is risk worth taking every single time. Are you with me on that? Now listen, here's the other thing I know. That the risk that we need to take as a church to be what Paul talks about in Acts 13, 47, a light to the world, to the farthest corners of the earth, bringing the gospel, it will also mean that people like my friend Luke, who I'm going to invite up here, are going to need to take risks as well. So I've invited Luke. Everybody welcome Luke. Come on up, Luke. Some of you know Luke. My man, Luke. What's up? (laughs) Uh... I met Luke. Luke, um, so if you're new here, a few, few months back, uh, this large group of misfits like us decided to join arms with us at this church, and Luke was a part of that. And um, I, had the, uh, I had the pleasure of sitting with Luke at coffee, and we got to talking, and he told me about this vision that he has and this desire he has in his heart to be an Acts 13:47 kind of person. And so I just want you to tell us a little bit about that. Tell us what you've, you've been up to, what, what God's laid on your heart, and the risks that you're taking to bring the light to the world, especially to the next generation. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a few years in the making now of kind of my mission and trying to figure out what my purpose was, you know, because we all have a purpose in this life, whatever God is calling you to do. And you might not know it yet, but you all have one, whether Amen. you like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you sign up for this, you have a mission. And, uh, you know, a few words, a few years ago, I got a word of be a father to the fatherless. Mm. And I had no idea what that meant. Mm. And I, I went down a road with it and my wife will tell you, and it was the wrong road and it was, it was some hardships, but you know, things kept adding up and adding up. And, um, last year we were, you know, I was really just 
spending a lot of time in the wilderness and hiking all the time and just like my time with God was so important and just being out there was so amazing. And it just, it felt like there was something more and there's something more to this. And, you know, growing up in the wilderness was like such a big thing for me growing up. Uh, my dad passed away when I was eight. My mom like almost pushed me into the outdoors. She took me camping almost every weekend that she could. Like if I wanted to go fishing, she would drive me to Bartlett and drop me off for the day alone, which is crazy to, I would never <laughs> do that, you know, but so like the wilderness has always been a, a big part of my life. And, um, about six, seven months ago, a good friend of mine lost his father. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, I have to jump in here and I have to be a light to this guy because I understand his pain and his feelings. And we actually hit the mountain, which is kind of one of my things. And uh, we started hiking up the mountain. We're just kind of talking through and we're talking through generations and boys and like the aspects of being without fathers and just the generations that are coming up now of like, man, what, what's going on in life? Like mm -hmm. we're going astray. People are going all over the place where kids are just on iPads all day long. And it was just like, we started talking through this and he's like, yeah, I, I think we need to start a ministry. And I was like, dude, I have, well, funny, fun fact, uh, God just gave me this name of Field and Faith. And I think this is it, dude. Like this is the ministry we're supposed to have. And now we're here seven, eight months later. Yeah. So tell us just a little bit about what the, what Field and Faith is. What does it do? Yeah, so Field and Faith, we wanted to do something different, you know, like if you, if for those of you that participated in Boy Scouts growing up, or, you know, like me, the church style Boy Scouts or Royal Rangers, it was not anything outdoorsy, you know, it was merit badges and vest and merit, you know what I mean, it was just, it was too much, so we wanted to do something different because one thing I noticed over the years was like, there was a lot of guys in our church and younger guys that wanted to learn how to hunt and they wanted to learn how to fish is because their, their fathers didn't know how, or they didn't teach them or their fathers weren't around. And I was just like, dude, this is it. We have to do this because there's something important to being in the wilderness and hunting and fishing and knowing how to provide for yourself. So one of the things we do every other month is we actually do a hike on a different mountain. We actually do a Bible study at the top of a mountain. You know, so many times you see in the new Testament of Jesus going into the wilderness or going on a mountain to pray. It's because it's important. You have to get away from everything. You have to get mm -hmm. away from this world and the noise to fully hear what God's trying to speak to you. So every other month, we're going to do different Bible studies on different mountains to be able to obviously get out and hike, to get the physical as aspects of it out, but also to learn and then kind of lean on one, an one another. We're also going to do hunting and fishing and camping, and we're actually going to do one large retreat at the end of the year. And yeah. it's going to be awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> So um, tell, if somebody were hearing this going, holy cow, I want to be a part of this, or I need my grandson to be a part of this because all he does is play Angry Birds all day. Is that still a thing? Is Angry Birds still a thing? I don't think it is. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to be 44 this week. So that's, you know, that's what I know. Uh, tell, tell them how you can get connected to this and like what might that look like for somebody. Yeah, totally. So as you can see on the screen, we have our website up there. One thing that we wanted to do, like this was supposed to be a ministry to the church. And then I kept feeling like, man, this is supposed to be something bigger than just a, a small ministry at a church. And I kept feeling like we were supposed to make this a nonprofit. So I was like, all right, I think we're going to make this a nonprofit. And then our church closed. And I was like, oh, I guess this was supposed to be a nonprofit. So that's kind of our aim is, you know, we are a nonprofit and we're still going through some of the stuff. But yeah, look us up on Field and Faith. Uh, we have an events page that tells you all the events coming up. Some of the dates are still open to change because of uh, hunting regulations and stuff. We're still waiting out from Arizona. But, yeah, I'll be out there, too. Feel free to reach out. But, yeah, this is, I think this is important. You know, it's, it's a yeah. risk worth taking, you know what I mean, especially because our next generation is just is dying. Mm. You know, I, was, I look at a lot of statistics and a lot of 
mental health studies and stuff, and it's just the average child used to spend about 35 minutes a day pre-COVID, and now they're spending about seven to eight minutes a day outside mm. and five hours on screens. Yeah, yeah. And now there's a new, you know, with all the disorders and stuff, there's, it's called um, natural deficit disorder, which a lot of people are starting to deal with. And when you go outside, like the studies have shown incrementally, like if you're not spending time outdoors, you have 55% more likely to have a mental health illness. Mm. Studies like ADHD goes away. PTSD can go away from spending time outdoors. Mm. Anxiety, stress, like everything, just from being out the door, being in God's creation. We are meant to be outside. Amen. Yeah. Dude. Let me pray for you, man. Thank you for sharing. Um, I know that this is a risk that you're taking. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I only eat plants, and he eats a lot of meat. So I try to... He said, we go hunting. I'm like, ah, I would never do that. But that's okay. Um, I'm going to pray for you anyway because I, I love your vision for this. I know that you are following and participating with God. You are taking risks that um, are necessary, I think, to reach the next generation. So let me pray for you. God, I just thank you for Luke. I thank you for his heart, um, both for you and for those who are growing up um, in this world today. I pray that you would give him clarity, that you would give him passion and desire and inspiration uh, to lead the next generation um, into a saving relationship with you. I pray, God, that people would come and they would see the beauty of being outdoors and learning these skills. And God, that it would transform not just the hearts, but also the minds and the bodies of those who come. Uh, just grateful for him and his passion and those who are part of it. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah. So yeah, here's the deal. If you um, you know if you've got a son or a daughter or, or a grandson, daughter, niece, nephew, that you think, man, that that might they might really enjoy that. I feel like that would be a cool thing. Please check out what he's doing, and um, it's really really neat to hear. And what I love about Luke's story is that God gave him this vision, and he realized, if I'm going to participate in what God is doing in the world, I'm going to have to take this risk. It's going to cost me some money. It's going to cost me a whole lot of time. It's going to cost me my skill set and my resources, my emotional turmoil, but he's willing to take it. And so it makes me ask you again, what are you willing to risk to participate in what God is doing in the world? You know, ultimately, Paul and Barnabas believed participating in God's mission was a risk worth taking because Jesus decided to put it on full display for all of us to see. You know, I say often at this church, Jesus never asks us to do something he didn't do himself first. He is the incredible epitome of a leader. And so Jesus risked everything to jumpstart this mission in the world. He risked his place in heaven and he came to live among us. He risked his reputation to bring truth and hope to a broken world. He risked his earthly comforts to reach as many people as he could. He risked his own safety in order to bring healing and purpose. And ultimately he risked his own life so that humanity would be brought into a new relationship with God through him. Jesus was the ultimate risk taker. And he is now inviting us to participate with him in the mission God has called us to because he knows, friends, participating in God's mission is an always a risk worth taking. You will never be disappointed when you take a risk in participating in what God is doing. When you give your money 
to participate in a God's mission, you will never be disappointed by that des- this decision. When you give of your time and your resources to participate in God's mission, you will never be disappointed in taking that risk. So what will you risk? What will you surrender for the sake of the good news of Jesus going to the farthest corners of the world? What will you sacrifice for the sake of the next generation continuing to bring heaven to earth? I hope you... You, like Paul and Barnabas, like my friend Luke, will take that risk. Let's pray. God, it is my prayer this morning. The example of Paul and Barnabas would stir in us something new. God, that we would, we would question our participation in your mission and that, God, you would give us a clear vision of what it looks like, even if it means I'm gonna serve at this church once in a while. I'm gonna give uh, just a small amount of my income or a more of my income. God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show up on a Wednesday night and, and be a part of these teenagers' lives or a Sunday morning and I'm gonna hang out with kids in the kids' ministry area. Whatever that might be, God, I just pray that you would stir that within us, that we would have the courage and the audacity and the faith to risk it all for you. God, I am grateful for Jesus. I'm grateful for the risks that he took on our behalf. May we follow in his footsteps. May we seek to be an example to the world that there is one risk worth taking every single time, and that is the risk of participating in your mission. Give us the faith, Jesus, to do this. It's in your name we pray. Amen.